This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. As always, I'm Doug Scott and joined by QB11 himself, Andrew. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Doug. It's good to be back. I know it's been uh, a little bit longer than planned, but um, excited to be back talking about some Oregon football because it's weird. Usually this time of year, I'm I'm kind of like not all that. Like I'm plugged in. I'm, I'm seeing, watching what's happening, uh, but I'm like unbelievably excited about this team and this program right now. I, I don't know. I've ever been more confident um, during an off season about what this program is, where it's going, what this team is and where it's going. Uh, just, just given some of the factors at play, like there's usually a lot of projection involved. It's like, Hey, we like, well, we're going to be a, probably a top 15 team next year is, is like my expectation most years. And um, if, if some, if certain guys can take big jumps or take jumps that we expect, then this team has a shot to be pretty good. But this team is like, I know we have dogs all over the place and I know we've got a really good staff and a lot of good staff continuity. Um, and we've got depth everywhere and unbelievable recruiting classes and transfer portal classes coming in. And it's just, it's weird. It's a different feeling than I'm used to. Yeah. And we talked a a lot about the roster management a couple episodes ago and how elite that has been for Oregon. And just, you know, we've talked a lot about the blue chips, right? There was 52 on the roster last year. We're up to 64 right now with potentially some more being added, maybe some more being dropped, but, you know, to go up, to go up, like that's rarefied air, right? Like as we go into next year and you look at the, when August rolls around and the 247 releases their updated team talent composite, once all the rosters are set, like Oregon's going to be at worst the sixth most talented roster in the country. Now, that's paper talent, it's recruiting rankings talent, you know, all the caveats involved with that. But still, uh, to, to think that they're going to be somewhere between fourth and sixth is is just insane. Yeah. That's... Uh, so it just shows you how how much leveled up the, the roster building and, and talent um acquisition and retention i think that's the thing that's lost like everyone talks about the recruiting and like all the guys are bringing in and oregon brought in like 22 blue chips in this class alone which is insane um but the but keeping the talent is also something you see around the country we're gonna talk about this later in the episode you see around the country programs even really good programs uh, you know at times are struggling to keep high level talent on their rosters and, and that is something where oregon has done just as good 
of a job is keeping their talent as they had of, of going out and getting more talent. Yeah, the acquisition's good. The retention's even better. I, I, has Oregon lost a single player this offseason that we anticipated would have played a role, like a big role? I'm trying to think off the top no. of my head. No, no uh, one obvious is coming to mind. No, I don't. I can't think of any off the top of my head uh, either that that we would have expected to play any kind of significant role at all. I mean, I mean, you know, there's people that oh, Cole Martin, you know, he played in every game last year. Okay, but that was he was a special teams player for the most part, spot duty at safety. Um, I don't anticipate that he would have been had much of a bigger role, if any, you know, in this coming season either. So, I that's not something I consider. A, no, no disrespect to Cole Martin, right? But that's not something I consider like, oh no, a significant loss, right? It's like, okay, you know, we lost a, a role player who's probably going to be replaced by someone who's just as good, if not better. Well, yeah, especially when you consider what's coming in the portal. Like when you weigh that loss on like a scale of like what you lost versus what you added. Um, and then when you also factor for prep guys incoming, it's not particularly close, right? So um, I, that's that's not... Again, he's he's a solid player, but he's at Arizona State for a reason, right? Like it's not like he's transferred to Michigan or Ohio State or USC or or another big program that would pose any kind of threat to Oregon. He's he's basically transferring down a level. Um, so, yeah. So before we jump into the rest of it, we got some more questions that are listener questions segment that kind of talk a little bit more about the roster, and we'll get back into into that in some more depth. Can be and before we jump in too far here, I do want to apologize for our listeners. I know last episode we teased the fact that we're going to be back with Justin on this Boy. next one, and that it was going to come out a couple of days ago. And then I just want to apologize to everyone uh, due to some technical difficulties, primarily on my end. That that did not work out. We actually all three got together and tried to record, and we had some. Pretty significant hiccups. Uh, we've worked past those. We are we have a, a time set for next week, so the three of us should be on together next Monday, and we'll get that episode out to you all. And I know I know everyone's looking forward to that, and and obviously you and I are as well. So I just want to apologize for that delay, but it is still coming. We we haven't uh, led you astray there. Yeah, and I know like we're what we also want to make sure is that we're putting out a good product, right? And so like we were having some technical difficulties. We might have been able to force something out, but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have matched the quality that that I think our our uh, listener would be would be accustomed to. All right, QB, let's dive in. Um, from a roster standpoint and a recruiting standpoint for the twenty twenty four cycle, I mean, obviously the spring portal. We don't know what that'll bring. You know, both in terms of outgoing transfers as well as if there's a couple of targets that might hit the hit the market that Oregon might be interested in then. But what we do know for now, you have the February signing day, this, you know, what used to be the traditional high school signing day now is the second signing day uh, in February. And really the only target that Oregon's uh, pursuing still from the high school ranks is, is Gatlin bear, the wide receiver out of Idaho, what top 50 player um, in the country right now, one of the top rated rated wide receivers in the country. And he had previously committed to Boise state, uh, decommitted quite some time ago and it, it's really been a Michigan versus Oregon battle for his services and you know it it certainly would seem that with Jim Harbaugh who we're going to talk about soon moving on to the NFL like Oregon's got to be in the catbird seat now right yeah I mean who knows I mean so there's there's a couple assumptions that have to be made there I think the first one would be is that the kid didn't have at least somewhat of an indication that that was a possibility now, whether or not that was a possibility that he was aware of and was still going to have an impact on his decision, I mean, only him and his family know that answer. Um, 
but I, I think that it certainly can't hurt, right? Because it's not going to be just Jim Harbaugh that leaves. Um, it'll at least be him, Jesse Minter, and Jay Harbaugh, um, the defensive coordinator and the special teams coordinator. And I don't think that any of those guys are going to have massive impacts on his recruitment, but I think that they, the, the, the loss of those guys might have impact on the perception of the strength of that coaching staff going forward. Um, and so like when you, when you look at those two Oregon and Michigan side by side right now, going into next year, who, like, who do you think is actually the program? And really it's beyond next year, right? Because Gatlin bears, um, not going to arrive on campus wherever he signs, uh, and for another two years. So he's really a 2026 signee. Um, and so what, what, what program has better stability for him going forward? I think, I think there's a very strong case to be made on for Oregon's behalf, uh, in that, because with Dan's commitment passing on the Bama job, um, and, and some of the other things going on in the program right now, uh, just how strong the roster looks like that Michigan team seems to have, um, obviously they won a national title and that's, that's not a that's never a bad thing but like when you're projecting forward what who, who do you think has better odds of getting back to that place or 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 repeating that level of success given Jim Harbaugh's loss i think that Oregon has a lot to sell on that so and then also from an offensive like fit standpoint like which offense would you rather play in um because <laughs> yeah. one is yeah, gonna, would you rather put up 45 points a game and throw the ball around or uh grounded pound yeah and I, that that really is the math like it sounds kind of basic and um like troll to say it like that but that that's kind of the difference between these two teams in terms of philosophy um and so i think i think he's going to ultimately end up picking the team um that's going to showcase his talent better and give him more opportunities to, to show off his explosive athleticism and i think that's oregon so um i i agree with you but i i don't think it's quite that cut and dry like i think especially with his teammate uh colson loveland um, his high school teammate playing for for the playing tight end for Michigan, uh, I, I think it's still going to be difficult to get um, a commitment from Bear, just given some of the other factors at play with the families and the familiarity with some of the players from the team out there. Well, that's something to watch as we close in on that second signing day here in a couple of weeks. Uh, shifting over on the transfer side, Oregon's taken 10 transfer uh, transfers so far this cycle, which I think was a little bit more than I was expecting. But, you know, there was obviously some things that they knew about what they needed and wanted that that I probably didn't anticipate. And, and they've taken three defensive backs in this cycle. But, uh, you know, Jabbar Muhammad is coming to campus this week, played for Washington last year, obviously getting all the way to that national title game. He has visited Texas and Alabama previously last week. He's coming to Oregon. This will be his last visit, and then he's going to make a decision from that point. And obviously, he's been leaked with Oregon. There's a lot of crystal balls and whatnot. I know Justin put a prediction in on Scoop Duck for for him earlier this week as well. Um, you know, is Jabbar Muhammad someone like they see as like, we absolutely need a corner, or it's just he's too good to pass up, or, or probably some of both? Well, um, I, I tweeted earlier this week that um, there was a knee surgery um, for Jalil Florence, and like I didn't know at that time what the severity of that injury was, what the timeline for a possible return looked like. Um, and I've been told since then that it, it sounds like it's pretty, it was a pretty minor knee procedure. It's not like an ACL or anything like that. And he won't be gone for that long. So with the, with that in mind, I, I, I think this is really just a matter of like, he's such a good player, um, but they want to have him. I, I do think he offers more scheme versatility than he might have shown at Washington. Um, should we just talk to, talk about him as if he's a commitment just to like talk about him as a player? 
uh, and why that seems uh, yeah, like Yeah, sure. Fit. I mean, you, we talk, talk about where he would fit in, you know, yeah. where he would fit, assuming he does commit to Oregon, where he would fit in the defense and how, how he would be used. So yeah. I think he'd be a starting outside corner, but I also would not be surprised at all to see him play inside in the nickel, specifically to like if, if, if Jalil Florence is healthy and Cam Alexander comes in and plays up to the standard that he played at at UTSA, you would think that you have three starter caliber corners at a minimum. And that's when that's excluding guys like Dante Manning. That's excluding guys uh, like Roger Pleasant, Ifeo Badegwu, Sione Lalea, and uh, Dakota Fields. I, I'm, I'm counting Dalen Austin as part of the nickel room. And so what I think this would allow is Oregon to, against certain teams, like against an Ohio State, um, to get into that three safety package or that three corner package, or maybe even go to some dime stuff where they're playing six defensive backs and be able to match up a lot better. Because one of the things about Muhammad game is he's just, he's really twitchy and quick in the short area. Um, and he does a great job of matching, uh, matching those short routes and, and being able to close and actually make breaks on those balls as opposed to just stopping them from short games. Like he can actually stop the completion from occurring. So, um, I think he'll be awesome on the outside. I think he would be excellent on the inside uh, situationally. And I think he's a guy that's just going to be on the field a lot because he's always around the ball. He had 20 pass breakups, three interceptions last year. Um, and and he's a guy that's trying to earn some money for the NFL draft the following season. So uh, th- this would be a really big pickup. He's a starter caliber player. Um, and it's interesting because we look at, like I think, the top two defensive backs on Oregon's uh, group from last year combined for like 12 pass breakups alexander I, I could be off by one or two here had like 17 last year and muhammad at 20 um and so they're they're getting guys with who are better ball athletes in my opinion uh who are around the ball more frequently uh, and able to make plays on the ball and, and and disrupt passes and not just prevent explosives but prevent anything at all yeah that makes a lot of sense uh, so, yeah, we'll see. I think in keeping on that, uh, he's visiting Oregon this weekend. Presumably there'll be a decision made, you know, early to mid next week. And, you know, whether that's Oregon or Texas or Alabama, it certainly seems like uh, it's trending in the back in the direction of work. It seemed like it was Oregon early when the portal first opened and then seemed like the winds were blowing towards Texas and then kind of back toward Bama. He went to see his old coach DeBoer there, but now it seems like it's trending back toward Oregon. So, uh, you know, hopefully this is another one the good guys can lock down and add to that. You know, they, this will be the fourth defensive back they've gotten out of the portal. So clearly they saw, uh, you know, the desire or need to remake that room. And we have a question about that later, so I'll, I'll hold on further conversation there. Maybe we'll, we'll get to that in the question section. But, um, yeah, good, good recap on Jabbar. The big news this week, obviously, Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan to take the head coaching job of the San Diego, or not San Diego Chargers, L.A. Chargers now. I keep calling them the San Diego, which is big news from an Oregon perspective for those of you who are Justin Herbert fans and Charger fans by extension then. So Herbert now will have Jim Harbaugh as his coach. This will be his third NFL coach in about five seasons, and obviously he had three head coaches at Oregon as well. So coaching stability, unfortunately, has been something that Justin Herbert has not had the luxury of uh, at any point in his college or pro career. And, you know, Harbaugh, I would have to imagine you would agree, is the best coach he's probably ever had. Oh, yeah, not even close. And my my question is who he'll bring in as the offensive coordinator because I've I've heard Greg Roman rumored, and I I don't know that that's a great fit for him um, because for all the things I think Harbaugh is excellent at that coach, I don't know that he's the best quarterback guy. 
Um, and so I just I just hope that he picks an offensive coordinator that that suits Justin's skill set instead of just leaning into what he does really well or what he likes to do, I should say, what his preference is. Um, but I, I'm far from an expert on the on the situation in Los Angeles. Um, and I'm not a Chargers fan per se, but I want to see Justin Herbert be successful and 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 play well. So um ho- hoping that that uh, Harbaugh can have similar success to what he had in San Fran and in Michigan and uh, Justin Herbert can play for some good teams that are competing for Super Bowls over the next couple of years. Absolutely. Uh, going back to the college side of this, you know, certainly we saw a lot of chaos. We're going to talk about that next with, with Alabama and certainly Washington and Arizona, you know, to different degrees when their head coaches left. And that opens up this 30-day portal window, right? So yeah, for those of you who aren't aware, the transfer portal basically ran for the entire month of December. It closed down in, in early January, right after New Year's, except there's a provision that says if your head coach leaves, then there's a 30-day window for the transfer portal reopens for players at that school. So, you know, in Michigan's case, we haven't seen anyone that I'm aware of enter the portal yet since Harbaugh's announcement. And I think the prevailing wisdom seems to be they probably aren't going to suffer some of the same fate that those other schools have, <laughs> especially if they just promote Sharon Moore to be the new head coach and kind of keep a continuity play going, much like you know Oregon did when they when they hired Mario, you know, when Taggart left, right, trying to keep the game together again. And I assume you. You agree that's probably the hire they're going to make and that we would anticipate a lot of attrition on their roster because of it. Oh, I, I would be surprised if anyone left. Like anyone that wasn't already leaving, right? And um, I, they had they had some guys transfer out, I think, after the Natty. Um, but they also were such a senior-laden team that I don't know that they have a lot of processing to do just given the fact that I think they're probably going to lose like 35 guys off last year's roster just organically. Um, and, and And really, like, I think that um, like Harbaugh did such a good job there, and and, and Moore's been his right hand man, and Moore was the head coach for four games this season. Um, and, is the, and, and it seems like the, it's a very much so, like you had mentioned, a continuation of passing of the torch. And so, I, I don't think we're going to see any poaching off the Michigan roster, um, but at least not a guys that they want to keep. I think that, like if anyone leaves, it's because they're clearing space. Um, but it, this is not an Alabama or Washington situation, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Let's move on to that. So we we talked about this on our last. You and I talked about this on our last episode. QB. Unfortunately, this is the segment of that episode that got lost to history, and none of our listeners got to hear us talk about Washington and Arizona and Alabama. So I guess we're gonna try to recreate as best we can that conversation, and we'll see where that goes. But obviously, Saban retires. A uh, couple things happen uh, within I don't know forty eight to seventy two hours. Uh, Alabama had hired Kalen DeBoer to be their new head coach. And within that same time frame and afterwards, Alabama lost a number of recruits in the 2025 cycle as well, or commits in the 2025 cycle, as well as, you know, they had a number of transfer portal exits. And some of those would have happened anyway, right? Normal attrition and, you know, roster spots and where you're out on the depth chart. But certainly guys like Caleb Downs you know, hitting the portal or, Kay, or uh, you know, Caden Proctor and some of the other high, higher profile uh, transfers that happened were were certainly a product of the coaching change itself. It certainly seems to have slowed down now. They've they've managed to stop the bleeding a little bit there. They've actually backfilled some of those positions. But you know, talking about Alabama, like what do you? I think there's two ways to phrase this. I think first of all, let's all say like 
Alabama is not going to repeat the you know what they did under Nick Saban, right? And I don't think any team would. And I don't even think even if Nick Saban stayed, like the the last fifteen years he won, you know, we won six titles in ten years or six titles in twelve years. Like nobody's going to do that in the twelve team playoff era, even Nick Saban. So they were already were not likely to have the same level of success, even had Nick stayed. Kind of what do you see as Alabama's outlook for next season, let's say, but then even, you know, over, you know, the three to five year horizon, kind of where do you put them in the pecking order nationally and, and in the SEC, do you think? It's really Maybe gonna, too early to say, but yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot. It's really going to depend on how DeBoer recruits, right? Like if if he can keep that roster at anything approaching the level that it was at, or even like 80% of that, then... I think that there's still a contender in that league, and I think it's really it, it's tough because the top of that league is so competitive. There's so many big time programs like you have LSU and Texas and Tennessee and or and uh, and Georgia and Florida and and, and these and Ole Miss is, is spending money and um, Missouri is good right now. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of quality in that league. Um, and, and you didn't even mention Oklahoma either. <laughs> yeah, and I, I didn't mention exactly. I didn't even mention Oklahoma. Didn't mention Auburn. And so it's like, it's you. We were so used to Bama just being a fixture at the top of the SEC, and I think that Kalen DeBoer is a good enough coach to keep them there. To be honest with you, um, I just don't know what it's going to look like from a talent acquisition standpoint because they they lost they lost some pretty important dudes here. Um, over over the last week since the portal opened, since all this activity, since the portal opened for their guys, I should say, and all of this transfer activity kind of got off the ground. Um, and so I, I I don't I don't have like a real definitive answer to be honest, but I, I tend to think they're going to take a step back, and I think that George is going to be the dominant program in that league. Um, and to be fair, like. That's kind of already been happening, even with Saban there. Uh, but we saw Alabama fight, fight back today. They got Ryan Williams, the five-star receiver from Alabama, recommitted. Um, that's a huge one. He's a super high-end talent. And I think that when you get a guy like that to pair with Austin Mack as the future of your quarterback room, um, then you're that's a good foundation to start with. Um, and, and I do think that they're going to be able to recruit at a higher, much higher level than they did uh, at Washington because I think the resources are much better and the brand is much better. Um, and Alabama is still isn't going to have the cachet that it had with Saban clicking at full 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 tilt. No, uh, but is it going to have still really strong um, still really strong pull with players? Absolutely, in my opinion. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens, but. I, I think Alabama's probably going to settle into that like three to five range in the SEC, and on a given year they can hop up and challenge for a title. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and and DeBoer did go go out to Washington as you mentioned and pick up probably three his three best young players on that roster. Right, Austin Mack, the he was a true freshman this year, early, basically reclassified, so really should have been a high school senior this past season. Uh, at quarterback, as you mentioned. Uh, Parker Brailsford, the starting center from Washington last year, he was a redshirt freshman, and then uh, Jeremy Bernard, the young wide receiver. So all three of those are are joining him in Washington, uh, or sorry, from Washington into Alabama. And it, I think that's probably, I think he got what he wanted from that roster. Oh, 100%. You know, we're going to talk about next. I don't think there's anything left on Washington's roster that, that would be Alabama quality. And he also got the one recruit on that 
on that commitment list that he probably would have wanted to. Um, oh, Noah Carter. With Noah yeah. Carter committing today. And Dominic Kirks ended up at Ohio State. Um, so there, there's there's been some other movement from the from their uh from Washington signing class as well to other high end programs. Yeah, let's talk about that next because this a lot of people have likened it's funny because I think when you people talk about Washington in regards to the 2024 season looking ahead, it's really easy to tell have they been someone who's following what's happening at Washington or are they someone who knows what Washington did this previous season and because you know I listen to national podcasts as as recently as today and these people are talking about Washington as like one of the big 10 contenders next season. And I'm sorry, you're just not up to speed on what the Washington roster situation looks like. If you think that, um, but, but other people who obviously are following it more closely, but Elliot is a great example of this. Right. And, and even he came out, um, you know, I think earlier this week and, and kind of listed like, uh, an early like range of like rankings of, of every program, you know, most of the major programs and say, Oh, at best, like, George is the first best team in the country and at worst or the third, right? And he kind of did a range for every team. And he started with Washington as 15 to 25. And like within not very long, he was kind of like, yeah, my bad there. Uh, their, their lower end range used to be much lower. And honestly, I, I don't, I think 15 is. I think they're I more think like, I think on either. the high end is probably like 25 to, and then low end probably 50. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they're they're. Uh, Kibi, let me just read some of some of this to you. Uh, yeah, obviously, most of their most of their elite players last year were all moving on anyway to the NFL, whether they're out of uh, eligibility or whether they they declared early. Right, they lost they lost their top three quarterbacks, you know, from their roster last year. They lost uh, their number one running back, actually their top two running backs from last year's. Um, offense they lost their top four wide receivers three to the draft one to alabama as you mentioned they've lost their entire starting offensive line and i think their top backup so their top six offensive linemen uh and then you know on the defensive side of the ball i, I think what they've re- they have two starters total back from from their entire 22 you know none on offense two on defense and out of their they're too deep i think it's down under 10 now that are returning this year and i i it, someone likened it to getting the death penalty. Like you're basically starting um, all over, and and honestly, it's it's not far off. No, they there. It seems that they're starting to get a couple of guys out of the portal from Arizona. They got Jonah Coleman. It seems that Ephesians Prysock will end up in that class. Um, but we've also seen some guys that I think Washington was penciling in at Arizona, not just T-Mac and, and Fafita, but they also had Raymond Polito decide to stay. It sounds like Takario Davis, the the cornerback, is leaning toward staying from the reporting I saw today. Um, and uh, the other tackle, um, who's it's a Polynesian name that's escaping me currently. Um, Manu at linebacker. Yeah, Manu staying. So uh, uh, it seems that the core nucleus of that Arizona team is going to remain uh, with the exception of Jonah Coleman and Ephesians Prysock, which means that they're going to have to go down. Like, because currently, like the the players that are in the portal have been picked through pretty good, right? And Washington's guys are getting picked through uh, in a situation where all of their guys are available, and every other team is just shopping. 
and looking for pieces to add to make a run at a 12-team playoff next year. And there's no way that Jed Fish and this Washington staff are selling that to that team. So like we saw Nate Kaleppo commit to Ole Miss today. It sounds like Julius Bulow will be following. Uh, also, Asa Turner uh, committed to Florida. Um, we, we've seen a lot of guys that would have been kind of like the keystones of this Washington defense and offense uh, commit to other schools here recently so uh and it's not like there's anything for washington to pick through other than the arizona roster which seems to be staying put and then i guess the the trickle down effect now is the san jose state and weaver state rosters and i don't know how many guys off the san jose state roster are going to be the type of players that washington's going to want and frankly like Brandon's going to have really good relationships with those guys and Arizona is going to have more immediate success to sell going into next year. So it just puts Washington in a really tough spot um, where they're, they're just they're He's having to turn water to wine and he, he was able to get Will Rogers back in the boat. Uh, Davis, the, fr- the incoming freshman quarterback seems to be re- remaining along with the kid that he flipped from Arizona's class. Uh, I think his name is also yeah, David. Damon Williams. Oh, Williams. Yeah, Demond Williams, um, and then they're then they're I think they're having more success with guys that can be the vision longer term. But with portal guys right now, it's tough. Yeah, because if you're in the portal, you're either if you're a high end player in the portal, you're looking to go to a high end program, right? And they're and all those guys, like you said, are picked over already. And as the spring portal window is coming up, you know what do you see in the spring portal? Typically, you see guys who I'm not in the two deep, I'm not in the rotation. I'm third on the depth chart. I'm fourth on the depth chart. I'm going to hit the portal and go find a new home, right? And so if that, like, Washington is at the point now where they just need quantity, right? They're they're in a Colorado situation where they just need bodies. And, but it's it's very different than, like, I need three guys to fill three spots, right? And you, you it's more like, I need 20 guys. They need 20 players this spring. Yeah. And I don't know it's, where you're going to find, like... Like, like we talk about being above or below the line. Like when, when you're having to recruit like that, what is the line? Yeah. Cause what they really need is 20 qual- starting caliber players. And there's no but way they're they, even going to get that's that. That's not available. <laughs> no. Right. The, the, the players are going to get are probably worse than the players already have who really shouldn't be, most of them shouldn't be starter. I mean, look, they've got nice players here and there, right? Like, but you go through the roster, like Will Rogers. Okay. Um, you know, if he's if he's your game manager quarterback and you have a like strong offensive line and a running game or whatever, okay, great. But now you're like you're gonna be behind most games and you're gonna be relying on him to throw the ball around behind what offensive line because they don't have I mean their offensive line is the the as a party, the transfer from San Diego State at tackle, and then they've got guard memoir, Sam Peacock, Jalen Clem, uh, you know, Sione Fasolo, Zachary Henning, and Elijah Jackett. That's it. That's their entire offensive line roster. Nine players. Nine. Like Oregon has 19 on the roster. Uh, you know, so you need to form a starting five and some key backups out of that. I mean, good luck. Uh, you know, move on. You know, yeah, they have six receivers total on the roster. Right. And the best one they have is Giles Jackson. Like Giles Jackson was a nice, what, third, fourth receiver? Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know if he's actually the best guy or if it's Boston, but regardless, it's, Boston, yeah. Re- regardless, it when you compare it to what they had a year ago, it's quite the step back. And I, and I think I, I, when I as I kind of comb through the roster that they've got and and look at what they have coming back, like the positions that I'm actually not like terribly low on them are at are kind of surprising. Like edge, like 
I liked the little bit I saw Jacob Lane. I liked the little bit I saw Lance Holtclaw. And we'll see what Zach Durfee looks like with a full offseason or if, if, if he ends up falling to Bama too. Um, not that I think he's a Bama quality player. I think that's probably a guy that ends up below the line there and stays at Washington. Um, but like the interior of the defensive line, which already wasn't very good, is completely decimated. The offensive line outside of the San Diego State transfer and guard who was the uh, the – I believe he was going to be the starting right guard going into the season and then got hurt in fall camp. At least that's what I was told. Um, yeah, he was in the running there, guard memoir. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I think, I think that between those two guys, they've got like two like power five quality players. Is there, a, is there a third on that roster right now? That's like a, like, especially going into Big Ten where like, if if they don't get this figured out, Will Rogers is going to have to get scraped off the field by a shovel after playing against Oregon, Penn State, and Michigan. Like he's just going to get absolutely feasted on because those teams all have really really good pass rushes, and in this offensive line looks like group of five level. I and, and that frankly, like it probably wouldn't be a very good group of five offensive line right now. Yeah, and you move over to the other side of the ball. You know, the interior, you got Jacob Bandez, um, you know, the Parker Parker twins, and uh, Alanius Davis are your interior defensive linemen. So you've got one guy who's played, what, four or five years now and has been below replacement level, I think, by your analysis and Bandez, and the other three guys haven't even really seen the field Bandez. at any meaningful amount. Calling Bandez uh, replacement level is very nice. That's very kind. I said below. I said below replacement level. <laughs> oh, oh, my bad. I, I misheard you. But um, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the 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 other position where they might be they're fine is probably running back. Surprisingly, which is a position that they've not been good at for quite a long time, actually. Um, and and like getting Jonah Coleman out of the portal, I think, is a really nice pickup for them. And then they have. Um, they have Cam Davis coming back from from a knee from a season-ending knee injury that he suffered during fall camp last year, so so that group to me actually looks kind of solid. Um, and like, that's a solid top two. Yeah, yeah that's a sure. good top. I, I would say, yeah, I would say, that, I would say that's good. Now, is it going to be like the best or one of the best in the Big Ten? Absolutely not, because the Big Ten's running back rooms are absolutely terrifying next year. Um, but that's a group that you can build. But that, that's a top two you can win with if you have the other pieces. A hundred percent, without a doubt. Um, but do they do they have the other pieces is the question. <laughs> yeah, who's opening the holes uh, for those running backs? Well, and is, like, is what, like sure. what's going to stop teams to just stack the box? Because like as much as Will Rogers had success in that system that Leach ran way back in the day, uh, like who's he throwing to? Where's the protection coming from? And like he was not productive in a non-air raid system. And while I'm sure I know Jed Fish is a really smart offensive coach, um, who will do what's best for his players and put them in positions to be successful, his system is not an air raid system. So there's there's a lot of questions to be asked there, and uh, I'm intrigued to see how it all plays out. Yeah, I mean, and you go on the defensive side of the ball, we talked about the line. You know, you you mentioned the edges. You know, they've got a couple of, of quality linebackers. Carson Bruner, Afonso Tupatala are fine. Beyond that, it's a bunch of unproven players, right? And then you go to the defensive backs and, I mean, the safety nickel rooms. Oof. It's I mean, Cam from Vicky like... is fine. And then it's just a bunch of dudes who've never played. Uh, it, 
It's rough. I mean, I don't know how this team stops anybody next year. I think they they're giving up forty a game. Yeah, and I think they're going to constantly be playing behind and be in obvious passing situations, which is like Jed Fisher is going to have to make a business decision. Am I going to put my quarterback in a position to get absolutely destroyed and killed, or am I just going to stay? I'm just going to I'm just going to play to keep games closer and run the ball still and just get out of there. Um, and like it really depends. Like, are they going to play to win or are they going to play to keep games close and try to recruit? Yeah, or try to steal some game. I mean, I. You know, I don't know what their NIL situation is. You know, you hear different stories from different people. But if I if I was running that program, like I would 2024, I'd just say it was lost, right? Like I wouldn't go out and buy any players who don't help me two, three, you know, two years down the road, three years down the road. It'd be, it's just a waste of funds, right? You're better off to hold it, you know, uh, spend what you have. to. to if you're going to spend NIL money, spend it on a guy who's a, going to be here for 25 and 26 and beyond right don't spend it on a on a one-year player that's just a waste like take your lumps this year and and recruit like you said and the other thing is like what's the end what's the inventory of the portal going to be i like i the second portal window is never as active as the first and typically like it's guys like the second portal is guys like getting processed out to make room for incoming freshmen that are enrolling in the summer so like are how many like how many quality players are are really going to hit the portal in the second window and then the second question is is like washington is not going to have first round refusal on any of them no matter how much money they offer because there's a hell of a lot of schools with a lot better chance of winning something meaningful next year so like what 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 is a reasonable expectation for one the quantity but two the quality of player that they're going to be able to pull out of the second transfer portal window i'm not optimistic on their behalf in that one not at all. I, you know, I didn't get to the corner room, but it's it's pretty dire as well. I mean, they've got Elijah Jackson, you know, had moments last year at corner uh, opposite Jabbar. And uh, and then Devon Banks was a young player who, who looked good early in the season, I think the first two games before getting hurt and missing the rest of the season. But again, beyond that, it's a bunch of young, unproven guys. So, um, <laughs> you know, when quarterbacks see, a, you know, true freshmen or redshirt freshmen corners and safeties, lined up you know five across it's it's the eyes get real big uh, you know and, and like you said even the even the best players at those positions usually take their lumps when they're young and they're playing for the first time yep 100 percent. and i like i just i don't know how this team keeps it on the rails like it's going to be a test for the culture next year because it, it could get ugly for them i know I've, I've talked to some washington fans and i'm not like as much fun as it is to poke control like i I don't want to be an asshole because frankly, like that could be <laughs> us uh, at any point. It was after Mario. Right. Um, but like they're penciling in Rutgers and Northwestern as wins. And I'm like, I don't think that that's an automatic win. Like I think people, like I think people that don't watch big 10 football don't realize that Rutgers is a pretty respectable program now. Um, their defense was pretty solid last year, and they return like basically everyone. And their running back is really good, and they have they, they know who they are. Greg Shiano's done a really good job recruiting there, so it's like I like I, I wouldn't count on that. And like despite them losing their coach, Northwestern was like a plucky competitive team last year, and they are retaining their roster. Like they're not getting picked through like Washington. Yeah, they went to a bowl game. Yeah. So, I, I, well, I didn't even go back one step further. Washington State, like, can can you pencil that in as a win? I mean, Washington State's got a lot more continuity in in their roster and their schemes and everything too, and, and they have a full roster at least. Now, 
I mean, I'm not saying Washington State's going to win, but I'll bet that. I mean, they made it a game last year, right? Why wouldn't that be a game again? Well, they don't have Cam Ward, and they've lost some other important players, both to the draft and the portal. I don't know what the quarterback situation is at Washington State. I would favor this Washington team over over that Washington State team. Probably pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would too. I'm just saying, like, I don't think it's like an automatic win necessarily, right? Like, that's a rivalry game. It's a you know, one team has a little bit more stability than the other. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, look, if I'm a Washington fan, thank God I'm not. I'd be I'd be happy to make a bowl game next year, and I think you know I see some that I'll, oh yeah you know we'll, we'll get it the, we'll get the roster figured out and we'll win eight to nine, and I'm just like ah, uh. I mean there's just no okay. chance. There's just not enough. I, like you look at I look at their their schedule right now, and it, to me like there's four like stone cold lock losses, and I kind of think there's a fifth with Iowa. Um. So, Who's your fourth after Oregon, um, Michigan, and 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 Penn State? Oh, USC. U- USC. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like as much as I don't think USC is a contender for the conference, but USC is going to be a team that will score seventy points on this Washington secondary. Yeah. Then you. So okay. So if you have those four, and then you've got uh, you know games like UCLA, games like like you said at Iowa, uh, at Rutgers, Northwestern, like those are toss up kind of games, right? Like, and you got to win half of those to just to get to a bowl. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't seem likely. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went two and one against Indiana, Northwestern and Rutgers, but, um, I don't think they're going to go three and O and like, I think three and O is kind of a necessity to get to a bowl game. Yeah, if you if you if you figure Iowa's a loss, that's five losses. You got to be with the Washington State game. You got to go three and zero against those, and then you got and then UCLA kind of becomes one you could drop and still get in. Yeah, yeah, it's, but like I, don't, I think they're right in that. I just don't know how yeah. good UCLA is going to be because there's been like rumors about what Chip might be doing or not doing this off season. Like, we'll we'll see how that all plays out. Um, but like as it stands today, I would favor UCLA against Washington, especially yeah. Is, right is now, that, is that I would in LA? Too. I think it is. No, both the both the LA schools come to Husky Field this year. Oh, got it. Husky Stadium. Perfect. Yeah. So you know, if I if it was any other school other than Washington, I would feel bad. But it's Washington, so I don't feel bad. And oh, I'm, I don't feel bad at all. This is wonderful. I'm, I'm enjoying, this. enjoying this. I'm enjoying this quite, uh, quite, quite a lot. Uh, and and look, it's really interesting because you know Alabama took. Kalen DeBoer. Now they didn't. Alabama didn't want to go raid Washington's roster for obvious reasons. Um, and then Jed Fish moves from Arizona to um, Arizona to to Washington, and he did want to raid his old roster. He also, which he did to, to some degree, but like you said, when when he first went there, there was it was Fafita was going to go, T Mac was going to go, like. Polito was going to go. It was you know it was going to be fifteen players. It was going to be their best fifteen players. They're maybe getting half of that. Probably a little less than half. I don't even think they're getting half. Uh, I think they're going to get like four. Yeah, five, maybe five. Yeah. So Arizona did a, and then beyond that, Washington also lost all their best players to other schools. Right, not even to Alabama. Right, those guys were just like, peace out, we're done, we're leaving. Right, and. So I think Arizona's done a much better job of retaining their roster with their coaching change, playing defense, and and holding the fort down. And I thought they made some pretty good coaching coaching hires as well for 
for their situation. Yeah. Well, I just, Arizona, again, like if they, by keeping the band together, they had something to sell to the those guys who were coming back for their, their last seasons of eligibility in regards to, um, like, like we got, you have, you have guys, you have, you have, el- you have elder statesmen who can come back and win, right? They're going to the big 12. Their schedule probably gets easier. I don't think it gets more difficult going into the big 12. Um, they, they might be a team that can compete for a big 12 title and get one of those, uh, playoff spots. Whereas like Washington going into the big 10 with the schedule they have, and just the realities of what can be assembled there in the second portal window, like there, there's no opportunity to win anything next year. And so, uh, I think that's really the biggest thing that plays a part there. Makes a lot of sense. All right. You want to move on to some listener questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, Oregon Recruiting asks, question. I think Oregon fans are confident in the main six getting drafted. Bo Nix, Bucky, Troy, JPJ, uh, Kyrie Jackson, and Brandon Dorless. But who else should be on our radar of possibly getting drafted? Evan Williams, maybe. Any other of our defensive line? So first of all, let's start. Do you agree with him that all six of those players mentioned will be drafted? Bo, yes. Bucky. Yep. Yes. Troy, obviously. JPJ for sure. Kyrie Jackson, Brandon Dorless. Do they are they both drafted? Yeah, yeah they're both yeah, for sure. Um so I okay, agree. Anyone I think, else then? I think Evan Williams is probably the one that's got the best shot beyond beyond that group. Um anyone other than Evan Williams, whether it's Taki or like in Borpopo, to me, like those guys are dime a dozen. They're they're two down interior run defenders, and neither of them like like at least Popo has decent length, but he's also older and has a quite the injury history. Um, and I, I think if medical will ding him, it'll stop somebody from using draft capital because really the difference between like a sixth or seventh round pick and an undrafted free agent isn't that much. But I'm sure those guys, whether it's Casey Rogers, Taki, Popo, will all get picked up in the camps. Uh, I, I really have a hard time seeing anybody using draft capital on them. Uh, but I could see Evan Williams. I mean, we saw Brady Breeze get drafted for crying out loud. Like, I, I could see Evan Williams sneaking in. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. I can't think of anybody else. So, Stephen Jones, not a you know, no, camp is my kind of guy, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but six, okay. like when you consider how many guys opted to come back, six is a six or seven would be a really strong draft class still. Yeah, we would we have six last year? I, yeah, I think it was six last year as well. I think, it was, I think it was six last year, six, let's say six this year, maybe seven. And then next year, the hall could be could be quite large because all like you said, all those guys that opted back in this year will will be in the draft as well as you know some other guys from this year's team. So yeah, it could be thing, even higher. I just don't assume anymore that our guys are all just gonna mass exodus because we do a really good job now of retaining guys who like are on the bubble or are mid round picks. Um, whereas like the, the high end guys, the guys that are going to go day one, early day two there, it's really tough to justify them coming back because for the most part, those guys are who they are there. It, there's not a lot of chance for guys who, um, have a day two skill set to come back and turn it into a day one skill set, which is where you get the extra year on your deal and you get the, the better signing bonus and, and guaranteed money, uh, so without getting too far much further into the weeds and I already just went, uh, it's it's mostly like the day three, late day two guys uh, that you can convince to come back and Oregon's NIL is good enough that they can do that whenever they really want somebody. 
That is an excellent point. All right. Hayward Hawk asked us our next question. Excluding any 2024 newcomers, which players are we not talking about that will either be on the two deep or contributors next season? Pulling up my roster to answer this question. Yeah. People so were not. <laughs> the, the guys that I think probably don't get talked about enough would be Dale and Austin. I think he's going to play a major role as as the nickel whether it's as a starter or as a rotational player uh this actually kind of goes i don't know uh, i know you said we had a couple of roster management questions but this is one i actually wanted to talk about um so i'm glad it came up is oregon was very fortunate at both wide receiver and safety last year to get away with really limited rotations and and have those those limited guys not get healthy or not get hurt sorry so like Steve Stevens, yep. Tyshim Johnson, and Evan Williams played basically 100 percent of the snaps in meaningful time once Bert, once uh, Addison opted out, and that put us in a position where we only had three safeties, and we made it through the whole season with three. And at receiver, we've only really played four guys, and we lost Gary Bryant very briefly, but for the most part, we had all four guys all season. Um, I think Oregon's going to have deeper rotations at those positions next year. Uh, and I think that you're also going to see um, more like more guys, more bodies above the line and contributing. So um, I, I would say Dale and Austin uh, is, is going to be a beneficiary of that. I think I don't, I mean, he's a true freshman. He hasn't even been on campus yet, but Aaron flowers is a guy that also comes to mind in the secondary um, in terms of not getting talked about. I think everyone is assuming that this Jamari Caldwell kid is starting nose tackle. I think I think Amari Washington will start at nose tackle. I think a lot of people are assuming that someone older, whether it's where Hudson or Roberts, will do that. Um, I think Amari Washington and Caldwell will be starting on the interior of the defensive line next year. Do you think they'll both be starting? Yeah, next to each other. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. I was going to ask you about a defensive lineman because I, I I don't know which one to pick, but it does right. feel like one of those class of twenty three guys. And you mentioned Washington uh, would be probably someone not being talked about, right? I, I know there's people that are like, "Oh, we should get Oregon needs to get two or three more defensive linemen out of the portal," which I just cannot disagree with. No, that's uh, you know, obviously if you can, like, if you can go get like a David Hicks or or you know the 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 other guy from A and M that we didn't get, sure. But like we we have bodies and we have young talented bodies like it's like going taking a jag level player who's a senior or replace not a jag but a replacement level player who's a senior just doesn't make any sense well to me to me like the line for what you would take or not take is it would the defensive lineman that you're going to take be one of your best two because if they're not going to be one of your best two we don't have space um, because you, right. you didn't, we're just you, pushing someone to the portal at that point. Yeah. You didn't recruit all these guys to not play them. And sometimes I think certain, certain people in our fan base think that we did recruit these guys to not play them and to just take a massive transfer portal class every year and, and neglect the, the development of the young guys that we made commitments to, um, which is pretty disappointing because like you can get good players out of the portal, I, and I, I'm certainly not making the argument that you can't or that we haven't because we have. We've done very, very well um, in the transfer portal. But it, it's also a thing where there's diminishing returns on on, on that style of roster management. Um, and so just really, yep. really hoping to see... Um, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of losing myself here, Doug. Save me. No, no. 
I'll throw I'll throw a name out there. Uh, Kanan Sadiq is another one that I would I would mention as a. I, some people are talking about him, but I don't, I think he's still a little under the radar, and I think he could. And you've talked about him in the past as well, but I'll put him out there as oh, someone yeah. who he's a player. Who, and I think Jay Harris show. is probably like we haven't seen him play yet, but yeah, I, I know Locke likes to play probably two or three backs. Um, and I think he's got a shot because he's got a different skill set than the rest of the room. All right, move on to the next question. Dan Block asks, you guys have talked before about not knowing the true scholarship count. With NIL, it seems they can replicate a scholarship uh, in a way. I'm wondering if there are non-tuition and housing differences between walk-ons and scholarships, i.e. does a walk-on not get the training table, tutors, etc. This is an excellent question. I don't know the full answer to this. I know that the line has been blurred more recently in far as what benefits are available and not available. Uh, between walk-ons and scholarship players, there is still a difference, though. Uh, there is there are benefits provided to scholarship players that walk-ons um, are not supposed to get. So, and there, there's also like non, you know, non-direct benefit reasons why a player wouldn't want to just be like, oh, yeah, I'll be a walk-on, right? Like, I think it makes sense in the right circumstances for the player and for Oregon, um, but it's not something I expect to see. Like, we're not going to get 100. 10 guys on the roster by, by putting 30 like scholarship level players on as walk-ons. Like that's not going to happen anywhere. I don't think. No, no, definitely not. Um, again, it's, it can, I think you can use it for a handful of spots. Um, but I, I, again, it's, you're never going to have 25 guys that you're bringing in with NIL as walk-ons. So. All right. Uh, Connor Zins asks, Please explain how Washington will be able to field a remotely competitive Big Ten level team by next fall and how they will also add the needed depth in order to remain competitive throughout a long season. Question kind of answers itself, but it'll be just nice to listen from, from you too. Well, I think we did that, Connor. I think we, we'd obliged you for the last 20 minutes before this listener's uh, question segment. And we agree. But yeah, I, I don't think they do, right? Like, that's the that's the answer. <laughs> yeah. It's an answer that I that yeah. I thoroughly enjoy, right? Like it, that, that's a feel good answer. Um, but I, I will say this: like I I don't think I would love to be wrong. They're, it's not like they're going to go zero and twelve. They're not going to just be a complete unmitigated disaster because uh, they they, they have a couple pieces. Um, but and they have good coaching. I I do think that's a good coaching staff. They'll yeah. figure it out. And they have they have enough pieces offensively to figure something out. Uh, but. Like I also like the the level of competition takes a big jump up in this conference on a week to week basis, and I think they're going to learn that the hard way. Like the you're when you play Rutgers uh, in New Jersey, it is not like playing Cal. Like that's a much better football team than Cal. Totally agree. Okay, T Rod asks: With the roster as of today, do you see the secondary being either a somewhat improved, b considerably improved, or d Wait, D? How did I skip D? C, vastly improved. Somewhat improved, considerably improved, or vastly improved secondary. Vastly. This. Vastly. Wow, that's a strong statement. Well, I, I think especially if you're adding Jabbar, I think you've got like just incredible depth of corners that can cover. Um, you've got, I think that there's no way that we're worse at safety, especially because like, like I, I gave those guys props for playing all the snaps, but like if... Like Steve Stevens playing all the snaps is probably not the best thing for the program, um, but he's all we had, and so I just think that by by just 
the pure volume of guys that they've brought in, uh, you return some experience with a guy like Tysheen Johnson. Um, you've got guys like Jalil Florence coming back. You uh, have guys like Dante Manning coming back. And then you're adding in what they've added in both through prep, uh, recruiting, transfer portal. There, There's just too many. There's there's far more quality players than there was a year ago. And because of that, I think that they'll be able to find um, creative solutions to getting uh, getting a lot of different mixtures of guys on the field situationally, uh, which will keep us fresher and I think ultimately end up end up in us playing better. Wow, we have a lot of questions submitted, QB. We're getting more and more questions every time we do this, so I think I'm going to have to filter maybe some of these. No, I like it. Um, but I, I agree. Okay. Um, I was going to say B, uh, considerably improved, but with the idea that it could it could turn into C, but I want to see it first. But I like your bold uh, mistake and making a stake, putting a stake in the ground on that well, one. Well, so to me, so the, let me let me justify just a tiny bit more. So to me, I look at Savage to or Evan Williams to Savage is basically the same thing. Um, Tyshum Johnson is going to be part of the rotation, and I liked him last year, but with, with between Johnson. Flowers, Kamari Terrell was hurt all year. Dalen Austin moving over into the nickel role, um, bringing in guys like Aaron Flowers and Kingston Lopa, and then having guys like DeCambra and Turner coming off of red shirts. I, I just think that there's there's no chance that it is as thin of a room as it was a year ago. And and I think that just with the qual with the quantity of quality that you have available to you at your fingertips, there's just no way that that the the interior of the of the secondary doesn't get a lot better. All right. Agree. Big Joe, Wisconsin 09, Oregon 11. Hey, he's a Wisconsin, Oregon fan just that. like you. Love that for us. What position group will hold us back from getting deep in the playoffs? Which one can you see helping us get over the top? Um, if if a group is going to hold us back, it's going to be the interior defensive line. It's going to be because of youth and experience and injuries. I was going to say safety. But I like your answer. Those are the two obvious answers. One of those two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then what group will help us? Uh, I think Get the over ed- the top. I think the edge group is going to be really good. Like I think getting that that trio of purchase Tuioti and Mateo, um, and then and then returning Birch. Like that group is going to be nationally elite, in my opinion. I think those guys are all going to take big jumps as pass rushers. They're going to de- the young guys are going to develop physically, become more consistent run defenders. Uh, and I think it's going to give the staff a really deep and fun room to play with. I'm going to say the offensive line. Uh, it's pretty, a pretty boring answer, but uh, I think if we get over the top, it's because they have taken another step forward. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, protecting the quarterback or getting after him, it's one of those two. That's right. All right, Josh Cole asks, what aspect of, aspect of Dylan Gabriel's game are Duck fans most likely underrating? I think he throws a really, really nice deep ball. Um, but I, I will say, like, he's, I don't know that he's quite as fluid of an athlete as Bo Nix was, uh, but he, he is a good athlete. Okay. Kelly Gamblin. Do you have nothing anticipate to anticipate any player? What? Do you have, what? Not, you have nothing to add? I am, I don't. I don't scout players, QB, so I will Fair enough. take your answer. Fair enough. All right, we roll. We roll. I, I would just say, like, I guess I would say something that's a little bit less scouty and a little bit more just observe, observational is I feel like he he's a gamer, right? Like, he plays big in big moments, 
I, I think I've seen that at times throughout his career. You know, we obviously, the Red River uh, shootout rivalry, whatever you want to call it, last year was a good example of that, right? So I kind of think that like clutch gene or whatever you want to call it, I, I think he's had aspects of that at time and shown that, right? So that might be something to, to notice. Yeah, I, I mean, I, right. I would agree with you. Kelly Gamlin asks, do we anticipate any player position changes from last year? I mean, I think we've obviously talked about Dalen Austin uh, moving into nickel quite a bit. I do feel like between nickel safety corner, maybe? I, 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 I We'll see what happens come, you know, spring ball and fall camp and see who's playing where. But, I mean, they brought in a lot. They brought in Brandon Johnson. They brought in potentially Jabbar Muhammad. They brought in Cam Alexander. They brought in... Um, Savage, right? And then they've got all these other returning players, younger players that you just mentioned in the safety room, but also some in the corner room. So it feels like there's opportunity for changes there that we may not be aware of, but I, I can't say anything for sure. Yeah, I mean, the only the only changes that I could foresee, like, I think it really has to be second-level defenders on defense, and unless it's a guy, uh, the exception of that being, like, Johnny Bowens, like, does he pack on more weight and move inside on the defensive line? But we didn't really see definitively what his role was a year ago, so it's tough to even say that. Um, but I agree. I think it's in the secondary. I think Dale and Austin moving to nickel is, is the star position. is a big one. Tyson Johnson possibly moving back to deep safety with the addition of Brandon Johnson to that room I think would make sense. Um, other than that, like, I don't see any safeties moving to linebacker, um, and I don't see – anyone moving around on from offense to defense no no i don't see anything like that at all it's pretty straightforward okay um carrie mallon asks has oregon brought in enough help at safety yet or is more help needed what is the future of austin nova said will dante more that's a lot of questions will dante more be redshirted in 24 or only i want to talk about this one or only if he's not needed to fill in do you have any status updates on Noah Whittington? Okay, All right, where do you we, want to talk? Let's start with the first one. Yeah, have we brought in enough safety help? Yeah, I, I, I think we have. I agree. Unless, like, like, I like agree. obviously, like players like Caleb Downs, like you, yeah, are, Caleb like, Downs wanted to come here. Obviously, you take him. Yeah, there's always room for for that quality of player, um, but I, beyond like anything crazy happening, I think we're done at safety. Uh, what is the future for Austin Novosad? We'll see. I mean, obviously, he's going to start as the third third on the depth chart this year, and we'll decide. I guess he'll decide if he wants to. You know, what he wants to do beyond that, and you know, it's a it's not. It, it, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to predict what I think the guy should do or will do. Yeah, I I think you hit it on the head, Ben. He's going to have an opportunity to develop. I think we know who our next two quarterbacks are going to be, but if if he's willing to stick around and, and learn and and compete, um, maybe he can prove me wrong, or, or or maybe he can be the third guy. Yeah. Will Dante Moore be redshirted in twenty four? Okay, I've got to get to this. This uh, there's, I heard somebody talking about this the other day, like whether Oregon should. Should redshirt Dante Moore or not? Really? Look, it, it the, the the idea. Unless you're talking about, in my opinion, unless you're talking about offensive linemen or defensive linemen, I don't think you should go into any 
in this era, uh, uh, like, oh, we've got to redshirt this guy so we can have him here six years from now or five years from now when he's a red, you know, uh, a redshirt senior. No, like if Dante Moore is good, he's not going to be here that long anyway. And if he's not good, he's not going to be here that long anyway. Yeah. So like, there's no reason to try to redshirt him to save him for what would that be? Let's see. This would be his year two. Year three would be 2025. Year four would be 2026. We don't need to redshirt him so he can come back and play in 2027. He's not going to be here in 2027, no matter under any circumstance. Well, it depends. So there's no reason to redshirt him. I, I I don't know if I agree or not. I'm I'm actually working through it myself right now. I'll talk I'll talk through it out loud though. So first and foremost, if you think he's a two and done player, like or if you think he's a two year two year starter and off to the NFL guy which I think is a very, very, very real possibility for him specifically in the system now that he's away from Westwood. Um, I, I think that that, I don't think that you'd be crazy to project that. Now, what if he's not? What if what if he takes a little bit longer than we hoped? And, uh, or what if he gets hurt in another year? I mean, you could always apply for a medical red shirt. Um, but there, there is not a non-zero chance that having that extra eligibility year of eligibility might be useful down the road. I'm not saying it will be. I don't think it's the most likely outcome, but what if he's just a, ends up being a really good college quarterback that doesn't have like the massive NFL projectables. And so he like have it, he would be someone that you could buy like a Bo Nix, like a Dylan Gabriel to play a, play a senior year. Let me put the question a different way. I don't disagree with that, by the way. For 2024, if your options are, we can play you in four games, mop up duty, whatever. Maybe, maybe you know, you play almost a half a game in two of these preseason contests, and then you play a quarter in two other games, and then you sit on the bench the rest of the year. Or is it better if you're planning on him being your starter in 2025? Would you rather play him in eight? nine, 10 games this year, have him get more reps, more game reps, more real reps so that he's more prepared for 2025. Like, what do you care more about? 2025, I, I, 26? You and or I some potential future 2027? So, like, I, I agree with you. Um, and I think, like, the way I look at Dante as a talent and, like, I think the staff agrees and the way they look at him, um, like, it's, it's really what this is, is get him as much playing time as you can. If you can play him in all 12 games, 13 yes. games, 14, 15, 16 games, then do it by all means because it's just going to make you better the following season. Um, and, and really, like, I don't think you should play scared. Like, I don't think you should play. Like, you brought Dante Moore in because you think he's going to be good enough to be not just a, a starter, but a really good starter for you in, in a year. And if that's going to be the case, like, he's already proven the ability to play. It's not like he, it's not like he didn't – was it always pretty at UCLA? No, but he can play. So I, I think that, like, I, I do think it's silly and a little bit wasteful to to worry about a potential for 2027 when it might undermine his development for next year. Exactly. Thank you. You said it more eloquently and less uh, angrily than I did. So, yeah. Well done. That's fair. Can I quit being okay. such an angry guy? Um, I, I'm not trying to be angry. I just, like, that. I find that question to be just laughable. Like, the this idea that somebody would like debate this with like sincerity for like 15 minutes just blew my mind to, to the point where I, mean, I, I got to at least think about it a little bit. Like I was thinking like from the perspective, cause like I, 
maybe I might not be super rational. Like I might have a little bit of fan glasses on when I'm like, well, I think this guy is probably a guy that we'll be lucky to get a second year out of because he's going to be so good, let alone a third year, right? So, well, the other thing too is, you know, you as a starter, what if he gets injured down the road? Then you redshirt him then, right? Like, I don't know. No, I, I, don't, I just, I just I don't mean, believe in saving redshirts at this in this era of college football, especially like, a quarterback. To be honest with you, because it's like yeah. he's either going to be good enough to play for to start for one or two years for us, and then go to the NFL, or he's probably not even going to be get an opportunity to start for us for a third year. Right, and you're going to move on to somebody Unless, else. It, it, exactly yeah, again, okay. so. All right, uh, Mike Ellickson asks, aside from Bears, Oregon, pursuing any high school recruits to sign in February, I'm only aware of Bear. I don't think I don't anybody think else we're still going anybody after. else but Bear. Uh, Matt Preeze asks, will uh, Aaron Flowers be in the safety rotation this fall? I predict yes. I predict yes as well. Gabe Lowenkron, all signs seem to be pointing to a Oregon Ohio State battle for the Big Ten next year. Can you give your post downs to Ohio State assessment of that battle? It feels like Ohio State has a clear edge on defense, and the Ducks have a small edge on offense. As things sit today, who do you like next October in Autzen? It's a great question. You go first. Okay. Uh, I do think that it's strength on strength, Oregon's offense against Ohio State's defense on, on that side of the ball. So... Uh, I think those are going to be two high-level units, and that battle will be will be really fun to watch. And obviously, yeah, Downs makes that defense even better. They got a lot of guys to come back. They were really good on defense this year, so that will be a fun matchup to to battle. But the more intriguing one, because I think there's a lot more unknowns, is the other side of the ball when when Ohio State's on offense, right? I mean, I think obviously we have some projecting to do and some and to wait and see what happens with Oregon on defense particularly on the interior defensive line and, and in that back back end of the defense that's as we've been talking about but also Iowa State you know they're Ryan Day is not going to call plays next year they're they've hired Bill O'Brien to be their play caller which is a change for them uh they seem to be shifting toward a more you know power running attack in their approach not to say they don't have like high-end wide receivers who will be very dangerous and Oregon will have to account for um also will Howard coming over from Kansas State at the quarterback position so I, I think there's there's questions on what the Ohio State offense looks like and and how well they perform and I think there's questions on you know as we talked about with Oregon's defense so I think that matchup is one that I'm really interested to watch and I think ultimately could decide that game I think it's far more likely that both of these teams end up with top 10 units on both sides of the ball than, than it is unlikely. Um, and so like, yeah, there's going to be, so there's some questions with Oregon's defense. There's some questions with Ohio state's offense, but I still think these are going to be two top 10 units on both sides of the ball. So um, I expect this to be like, I, to me, that's the biggest home game ever at Oregon. Um, it's going to be probably a top three matchup at that point between Oregon and, and Ohio State um, with probably two of the better teams that either of those teams have fielded recently, which is saying something. Um, so it, it's going to be a hell of a matchup. I, 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 leaned, I lean Ohio State. <laughs> you think State. game day and Big Noon will be there? Yeah. Like, I, I lean Ohio State kind of um, because I think, I think their defense is uh, – probably a little bit better than ours um and i also think that they're a little bit more proven just given like who they return at certain positions uh whereas we have a little bit more projection to do still but i think the talent is there to be just as good uh 
and, and but it is an Austin, so that's it's going to be a hell of a football game. The my, the thing is, is that Ohio State is a big question that no one's talking about in that offensive line. Like it was garbage last year, um, to, it, relative to what they're used to. Um, not not garbage relative to like Washington State or Colorado. Um, and so we'll, we'll we'll have to we'll have to see how that looks this year as well. Yeah, this I can't wait to be at this game. It's going to be incredible atmosphere incredible game like all eyes everywhere in the country are going to be talking about this game and the lead up to it uh, it's a pickup game i i don't know you know uh i like i like both <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a war and and i don't think i don't think you know, someone's gonna lose the game but i don't think there's a loser right because both these teams are still going to be right there at the end of the year you know for battling for all the marbles and so yeah. um yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. All right, Lloyd Berg asks, "What are some things that Dylan Gabriel does better or worse than Bo Nix? What could be some differences we see in the passing game due to those differences?" Well, I think Gabriel's a better deep ball thrower um, than Nix naturally. Nix has a bigger arm, so it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but I think his touch and timing is much better on on deep ball. Uh, I'm speaking of Gabriel. Um, Nix is, uh, I think a Nick's is probably the hardest quarterback to sack, not named Caleb Williams that I've seen in a while. Um, and I, I want to see how Gabriel is avoiding pressure and, and making those micro adjustments within the pocket uh, the way that Nick's does. Yeah, uh, that's a uh, Nick's is so like, I think people don't, people undervalued how accurate Nick's was. And I don't just mean that the percentage of completions, right? I mean, the ball placement right in the perfect spot for that. His receivers are catching it in stride and immediately getting into, you know, turning up field and getting yak, right? Like very little, very seldom did receivers have to adjust, especially on the short to medium underneath stuff, right? Have to adjust at all to his throws. It was like, just so on the money, perfectly in stride. Like that is, I think when you, you know, go back a few years and watch Anthony Brown when quarterbacking Oregon, right. And, and not, not to pick on Anthony, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, but that's the stark difference, right? Because even on those same types of throws, the balls are behind, the balls are high, the balls are low. Like guys have to stop, guys have to turn around, guys have to adjust. And all of a sudden now that three yard, three yard throw is a three yard gain instead of a seven or eight or 10 or 15 yard gain just because of the accuracy of that ball placement right and nicks is elite at that yeah i I, and honestly gabriel's incredibly accurate like i know you haven't watched nearly as much gabriel as i have but like that that's his thing like it's ball placement touch and accuracy and 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 timing and i think i think that gabriel fits the system and what we're going to ask him to do really really well the question is can he execute the system at the level that Bo did because Bo had complete mastery down the stretch last year um and and that's a lot of the pre-snap stuff yeah both pre-snap and post-snap um so that that'll be the piece is like can gabriel match that level of preparation and in the system understanding and system uh mastery uh that'll be tough to do and and without having two full years here but i think he's got a shot so we'll see yeah, it does seem like about as seamless of a transition as you could hope for. Like the games are are similar in so many ways, and Gabriel fits the system so well. So it it really couldn't. It would have been hard to find a more ideal plug and play replacement. All right, uh, next question. 
with our move to the Big Ten, who do you think could be the new, quote, ducks in the desert, quote, team? A school where it seems that we can never find success on the road against them. Iowa. And you know, not including, like, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, right? But, like, more of a, like, a team that's below us, but that we, we always lose to on the road. Iowa. Iowa. That was one of the ones that popped out of my so head immediately, too. I watched so many Rock good teams fans. get smoked in Iowa. By a team that can't even score a touchdown. It's the wildest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> Iowa is kind of the obvious choice. I, I noodled around with Wisconsin, although they're a pretty high low. They're, maybe they're too too good of a team to, to label that way. Nebraska maybe might be another one. I, I don't know. Those Midwestern teams, they all kind of seem the same to me. I mean, yeah, I think like uh, when, when I think of teams that are annoying, I actually think Maryland has the capability of being pretty annoying. Um I think I think Iowa, Wisconsin, Nebraska too. are like they're like like they're the meaty upper middle of the league now, um, and those are going to yeah. be tough places to go play. Those are great environments. All right, um, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, so I'm going to think I know your answer on this. But Big Ten Duck asks over under nine point five on ducks you think will get drafted in the 2025 draft so a year down the road if everyone declares and performs as expected these are locks in my opinion Connerly, cornelius jordan james evan stewart tez birch caldwell boss uh, plus guys like gabriel ferg jacob savage cam who all can get into uh, so i think i would take the under because i think to your point qb not all these guys will declare and leave yeah, the guys, again, we'll be able to get some of those guys back who have later round grades. I also think people are very premature with the Connerly stuff. I I don't think it's a game. Yeah, I'm not sure he's a three-year player. I'm not sure he's a three-year player either because, I like, he played really well this year. But, like, to be an NFL guy, there's a, he needs to get a lot stronger. And I don't know that it's a one-off season fix. Um, especially if he wants to get drafted where I, I know he wants to get drafted and frankly, where his athletic talent will allow him to once he gets his strength built up. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like we'll just see it's, it's, it's one of those things you're just gonna have to see when we see it, right? Like, well, how much, yeah. how much stronger is Connerly functionally next fall? We'll find out. Um, but again, it would not surprise me one bit if he ended up being a four-year player. I totally agree. And if he looks across the line and he looks at like a Johnny, right, who could have went to the draft this year, came back for one more year, and then let's see what happens with him this year, right? Does he do you know do you see a noticeable step forward with him? Does his draft grade draft grade come back, you know, much better, you know, next summer than it would have this or next spring than it, than it did this spring? And that might be the model to follow, right? Obviously, that's great for Oregon, and Connerly is is an NFL player, absolutely. So, uh, you know, if we can keep it one more year, it's great for us, and doesn't mean I I want him not to to find the most success for himself that he can. Obviously, yeah, I agree. I, I'm I'm excited though. I, I I would say, like I would I would think that next year will be the biggest group we've ever had drafted. I yeah, I think so too. And I think I think at this point, you know, barring any changes you know, to the program, right? I think we're on, like, we're, we're, we're now going to be dialed into where it's like six plus every year, right? Is it, you're not going to have these like, oh, we have this big year of draftees and then we drop back to one or two and then another, like, another surge comes along. No, it's going to be like, it's six this year, it's seven next year, it's nine that year, then it's six again, then it's eight. Like, we're going to be, we're, we're going to be living in that realm, I think, year after year after year because that's the kind of talent that's been built up now in the program. I could not agree more. I think... I think that's exactly the truth. I think that 
um, we're we're going to be at a pace where we're putting you guys in, and I think our big years are going to be bigger than what we're used to by probably yeah. two X as well. Because like a big year historically has been about six guys, and I I think that we're going to be in a position as a roster where we might have some years where we get 10, 11, 12 guys drafted. Absolutely. All right, we got five more questions, QB. Michigan Duck. This is another good question I like. Each of you name one returning player, one transfer player, and one true freshman that is poised to have a breakout year. No duplicates. Man, it's tough All parameters. All right, you want to go? All right, just... returning player that's poised to have a breakout year. Uh, you go first. Uh, Dylan Austin. That's my guy. I got to stick with him. That's your, that's your guy. Um I'm going to go with, like, what, again, we have to define breakout. If I pick Mateo, is is he eligible, or did, I mean, did he already have a breakout year? I I think that, <laughs> I mean, I think that there's a, there is certainly a lot of room. Like, those guys were just scratching the surface, so I think you could pick any of those guys. I w- I almost picked Blake Purchase, um, so I'm, I'm I thinking. Was gonna, that was another one I liked. But yeah. also, like, the interior guys, like, uh, like Washington and Green are going to be really interesting to watch. There's, that's a tough one. I, we, it was that, that class that we signed a year ago was so good, um, so I mean, like Poncho, like what, like how much of a drop off is it going to be from JPJ to him? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be that much, and that's not a knock on JPJ, right? I, I mean, there'll be there'll definitely be a drop off in in some ways, but I, I'm really impressed by him for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll go with Sadiq again as well. I think that's another guy that's going to have a breakout year, or a guy who played very minimally last year. Okay, how about transfer? Ooh, um, uh, Dylan Gabriel is the easy one. <laughs> it's almost cheating. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Brave Stewart. I, I mean, like I kind of uh, Jamar Caldwell. Yeah, I, I think he's be, he'll be a national name by the end of the season. Love it, love it. Okay, and then true freshman. I'm gonna go Flowers <laughs> before you get it. Um. All right, you're going flowers. Um, we got Elijah Rushing, Breland, Iffy, McClellan, yeah, Jericho. I'm 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 debating between um, Breland and and I'm trying to figure out which linebacker I think it is. It's going to which pop. linebacker? I think one. Of, I I go with Dylan if it's a linebacker. Yeah, I think it's going to be Dylan Williams too. But there were some things I saw from Kamari at the uh, Army game that have me wondering. I know. I I'm excited. I hope they both do. How about that? Yep. All right. I think we gave some bonus ones there. Okay. Uh, Jeremy Bowman. Do we have a running back currently on the roster that can be a featured back in 2025 if James and Whittington both leave after the season? Well, I don't think they're both going to leave after the season, but if they do, we'll see what Jay Harris looks like. He's got we'll multiple years, and and we'll we'll find out about Duan Riggs and some of those other guys. But yeah, running back is going to be a really interesting position to watch in the transition from next year to the following. How many more questions do we have, Doug? We got three more. All right, let's power through we'll these. Real fast. Yes, Chad Madeiros. Right now, who makes up the two deep at nose tackle? I think you kind of answered this earlier. It's Washington Roberts. All right, uh, that one guy. Do you think Washington went? What do you think? What Washington went through over the last month is the worst since the USC sanctions. They lost a national title, lost their head coach, and then lost their roster. Um, yeah, I would say so. But I think that I think what LSU what happened to LSU after nineteen. 
was pretty brutal because like they lost Joe Brady, they lost Dave Aranda, they lost so many NFL players. Um, and and it was just Orgeron staring in a room of, of emptiness. And so with, with no, <laughs> but, no Burrow. But I, I would say that's more like internal incompetence versus like things that kind of happened to you, at least the domino, the first domino was a little bit outside of your control, right? Yeah. A little no, different. I, I guess so. But that's a good one too. Uh, for, well, certainly uh, the implosion of Washington, they went from like playing in a national title game to having no coach and a roster exodus like in less than a week like that certainly that that time that time lapse from that highest of highs to oh my god we might win four games next year and and all happening within the span of of seven days is pretty unprecedented and quite delightful i thoroughly enjoyed every second of it 10 out of 10 would recommend and 10 out of 10, yes. And and the last and final question from Key. Oh, no. Will QB admit that Key is always right? There's no way this guy did. Absolutely, he's wrong about most things, but at least he's reasonable enough to admit it in private. How <laughs> uh, to end on that one? Well played. But yes, uh, he's not right about Jabbar. Oh, he is very wrong about Jabari and Dylan Gabriel, um, but he—he's usually pretty. He's good. a heightist. He's a heightist. Yeah, he—he he very much does not like people under six foot, um, but it's fine. All right, Andrew, that wraps up this episode. We will be back next Monday. That's me knocking on wood with Justin. Assuming we get our technical difficulties ironed out, I know we will, and. Uh, We'll be back, and it's been a great uh, great episode. Thanks for chatting with me. Agreed. No problem, Doug. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and uh, we will talk on Monday. All right. Follow him at QB11SD. I'm at DouglasTS, and, of course, the pod is at QB11Show. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you soon. <laughs>